You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. All right. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because something that you touched on earlier that stood out to me and has really stuck with me is this experience that you have extending yourself and putting yourself out there and saying, I'm inviting you into this space to come and sit and talk with me about these things. And even though you're bringing, you know, white women into your space, there's still so much more vulnerability for you in that process, right? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you have experienced a variety of just disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you're not surprised by that. What is your vision and your desire in people moving together toward humanity? What is your vision and desire when you extend this invitation to people? What do you hope that people will experience when they come into this space? And what is your goal? Mm, That's a really profound question. I think uh, recently our our church did a whole thing on diversity. And what we did is we had a panel. And I was part of this panel of people of color. And we talked, just like you and I are talking, we talked for quite a while. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like I said a lot of things that were much more poignant than what was edited in the end. The thing that Ooh. was edited was the place where I was most vulnerable. So it was like, we talked about a bunch of different things. And I had shared how, you know, I worry about my daughter's safety in the world. Mm -hmm. What wasn't shared was that I worry about my daughter's safety in the world, period. Not just because she's Black, although, yes, of course, but also because she's a woman. And, and, you know, but what they did is that it was kind of clipped. It was kind of attached to an an African-American man on on the panel who had shared his experience of being profiled and being called the N-word um, in public space. And so I had I had a lot of people, because I cried during the, the segment because I'm talking about my daughter, but yeah. I, it was such a small part of the whole. Like, I had a whole bunch of other moments in that panel discussion. And, but that was the part that was used. And I understand why. Um, because they had a very short time to really get people's attention and, and, and to do their, they had to take the strongest moments, I guess. But what it uh-huh. left me with was a church full of white people um, giving me a lot of their tears to carry. Uh-huh. And that was a hard, excruciating time. So it was very strange because everyone was celebrating this amazing, amazing um, thing that had happened at our church. We had finally stepped into it. We're continuing to step into it. Aren't we making progress? That was such a wonderful sermon. But what I was receiving Mm -hmm. was very different. I wasn't getting the high fives for my courage or my willingness to share. I was getting a lot of pitying and a lot of white tears, frankly, and a lot of frivolity, yeah. a lot of people who didn't like what I said, 
because it, it felt that I was accused. Some people who felt like I was saying that the police were going to kill my daughter. And I wasn't not not saying that, but I was certainly not saying that. Right. Right. And so I was feeling like I was having to carry a lot of other people's emotion. And it sucked. It was really bad to the point that I, I couldn't like show up for my life group. I couldn't, I had to stop showing up like for a while. I just disappeared. Mm-hmm. I went to work and I came home and I didn't have much to stay at work to people. I didn't really want to get into it. <laughs> like, so it was really hard to be vulnerable in that space. And I think that's the thing that I wish more white people understood. It's not that I don't want to have the conversation with you. It's that I cannot have the conversation if you are coming in as a savior or or mm-hmm. worse, as if you're coming with thinking I'm going to save you. We have to come in feeling that there's an exchange for both of us. In it. Um, I had a lot of people who did it really well, and I'm really grateful, who engaged me really well after that, who said, hey, I really, what you said was really meaningful to me, and this is why. Or, and this is what I'm going to do. But I had a lot of people, like, hug me, touch me, pet me, um, uh, you know, like, without my permission. Um, in, yeah. inappropriate, at inappropriate times, like, I'm in the middle of teaching a class, and I had someone, like, interrupt my class to hug me when I didn't need a hug. I'm, I'm teaching my class. I'm not, I'm not needing a hug in that moment. So there was a lot of that, and it's, it, it was really hard in those weeks too, I wanted to celebrate with everyone else what was happening in our church, that we were starting to look at inclusion and diversity and all these things. But what I felt like I was doing was just wiping up other people's tears and and reassuring Mm -hmm. people that I was okay. So I think- All for their comfort too. Right, that's the challenging thing. Yeah. And that's something that Austin Channing Brown really hits on in her book, I'm Still Here, where she talked about how at the end, people would come up to her and they would confess their racism or their family's racism. And the, the thing that you hit on that is so essential is that there is this mutual relationship Right. Right. And when you're just coming up to absolve yourself and go through this emotional process of, oh, please forgive me, I've been so horrible. And you're not thinking about the impact of that on the person that you're doing that with. It's just very self-serving. Right. It's kind of like I described it as if you're a parent, you make a lot of mistakes. And if you're not a parent, you have parents who made a lot of mistakes, but you don't necessarily need their confession. You need them to mm-hmm. be a parent, right? So my daughter Ooh, that's good. does not need me to go in and say all the things that make me inadequate as a parent or all the things that I did wrong as a parent that she didn't need to know about, right? That she didn't even know about, that she wasn't even thinking about. And so all of a sudden, she's like, well, then who, who's carrying me if I'm carrying that for you? Who's being the parent? Who's the person? Who's my person now? And that's kind of how it felt. I mean, it's not completely adequate of a description, but it's something that I feel like people can, when your parent all of a sudden tells you, I never loved your dad <laughs> or something like that. Right. And you're like, well, why did, why did you have to tell me that? I didn't need to know. And now I have to carry it. And so that's kind of how I felt. And also it's a lot like in, in this, in the same way, 
when our parents tell us one thing about themselves and we make that the thing. And, and then you find out later your yeah. parents had, oh, they were actually, yes, my mom did have a mis- miscarriage, but oh my gosh, she was so happy and joyful. Like, you know, it's not the one thing. And so that was the thing too. I was like, I, yes, I am a black woman and there are struggles that go along with that, but there are struggles that go along with every person's story. And certainly my blackness is not the end of who I am. It's just not. Right. And so, but there are people, they want that to be the end of who you are because it's the only way that they feel that they can relate. And so that was a really hard week because I'm just like, up until now, we've never had a, for most of these people, we've never had a conversation about race. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, it's all you want to talk about and it's all you want to see. In me. And mm-hmm. I kind of refuse to go there with people because I'm just like, I can't be that for you. I know you really want me to be. And that would be mm-hmm. super helpful to you, you think. But in the end, it wouldn't be helpful to you at all if I suddenly became nothing but my color. Then that's a different kind of blindness. And so mm-hmm. I wanted people to say, because we, we did this because we were offering the Beyond Colorblind class that I was talking about, Sarah Shin's class, taught by mm-hmm. another pastor who's brilliant, um, um, Pastor Jonathan, Jonathan Ng. He was going to be teaching the class. He's brilliant with this class. What I wanted people to say is that I was so moved by your story, I signed up for the class. But none of these people were saying that. They just wanted to give me hugs. <laughs> so... And go have coffee with me and tell me more about their story. And I'm just like, no, I'm good. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't know how you're going to get there. Um, You're like, I have a website. You can go to it. You can read there because that's the thing. And that's one of the things that, you know, I tried to share with people at various points when they ask me, well, what do I do? You know, the thing I say is you sit and you listen and you learn and you read. There are so many um, just authors and speakers and and just creatives in the world uh, women of color, men of color, like who are putting this out there and you can go and you can pay for their work and you can sit at their feet in a sense and learn without causing harm to them. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then beyond that, you go through that process. So I really try to hit that home with people and everybody's different. You know, I have some friends who are like, I don't mind going and having a cup of coffee. And I get asked a lot because I'm kind of the token black guy in my church or whatever. And yeah. You know, I, I definitely appreciate that for everybody, there is a different threshold or whatever. But that's something, too, that I felt called into in my activism, you know, moving from the head into what well, what can I do? How could I maybe bring these stories to people? Because this is a somewhat safe space, I hope, yeah. that then yeah. people can listen in on, but not interject themselves into, you know, and just yeah. trying to figure out what is that point where we come together in that regard. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So so then you mentioned that there were some people who did it well, and I think you already shared what that was and what that looked like. Was there anything else to that? Well, I think one of the ways to do it well is to do it relationally. I think if you don't know me, you probably should not hug me. (laughs) Right? Assume that you can hug me or offer sympathy 
because I think that's the last thing you want is sympathy from someone who doesn't know your story. And we all deal with that when people have had death in the family. The way that you offer sympathy to someone that you know and whose story you know is very different than someone that you casually have seen and you know that they're going through a hurt. You're not going to tell them your hope. I hope. I guess I hope. You're not going (laughs) to do it the same. But I, I, I really appreciated the people who didn't necessarily know me or know my full story, who treated it as part of my story. They said, you know, I had, I had a woman who's a volunteer for our Restore Ministry who said, hey, I, I just want you to know that we saw the full video. That was the other thing. The full video was available. Okay. We went to the website and we saw the full video with my, um, with our youth group on our campus. And let me tell you, there was so many people related to your story. And I just really want to thank you for that. Yeah, that was wonderful. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Now she asked me to go have a cup of coffee. I definitely want to go do it, you know? Um, right. But friends I had already had a relationship with, a couple of them, I realized just how blindly they'd been seeing me because mm. they were like, I didn't know you felt this way. <laughs> you know? mm. And it was kind of right. like, well, whose responsibility is that? I, I don't know. But all of a sudden it was my responsibility to tell them my, my whole black story. And uh. it was that, that was not done well. I also had people who just simply said, Hey, um, your story made me recognize something in my story and then to share. And there's that exchange of, and this is what it helped me to recognize. And I thank you for that. And that was really cool Mm -hmm. to experience. Um, And that, that was really healing to experience. And I was lucky because not long after that week, we had a leadership lunch where all the leaders were talking. We were broken into groups to talk about that particular um, sermon. And I, I was like, I'm not going. <laughs> I was, it was, I kind of had to be there because I worked for the church. And I happened, right. and it was by the grace of God that he put me at a table with people who were those people who, who who were like, this is what it made me think about in myself. And um, yeah. and this is how I'm grateful for that. Or this is the work that I need to do. Or this is where I see I have blinders or errors. Um, so that was really great that I had this. And I actually went back because I went in that day like firebomb. And as soon as the mm-hmm. question landed on the table, I was just like, I just want y'all to know, I don't really want to be here talking about this. <laughs> That's awesome. And I said, and I've had a week of doing it with people that I've not invited into this conversation and it's been very hard. And, mm-hmm. and they were just like, okay, girl. <laughs> and yeah, it was really great to hear. And then to be surprised, I was so pleasantly surprised by the stories around the table because a couple of the women were older women so they had a whole different generation of story that they had um and one of the men was hispanic but he reads white like if you saw him you would not think a person of color so he talked about that um another woman talked about growing up in a racist family and she talked about that and so the whole burden was lifted because they carried their, mm. they were like, okay, we will carry our own stories. We won't make you carry the whole conversation. 
Clearly, you're a student of the written word, right? You've told us now, not yeah. not difficult to figure out that you have studied <laughs> yeah. English and literature. And so who are some of the most influential writers for you? Oh, wow, that's so hard. And oh we can God. include a list. But wow. yeah, like who's who's somebody right now that you've read or that you're reading who is really breathing life into you as a woman? Oh, that's easy. That that one's easy. Um, Christina Cleveland. And I see you on yes. the feed too. I'm just like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for putting air back into my lungs. <laughs> um, yeah. I I actually got she is one of the people that we that I actually had the privilege of seeing her in person. Mm. And she is everything and then some. I mean, I, I walked away that night, my husband and I, and we were obsessed. We were like, <laughs> we were like trying to, and there's not, and at the time there was less of her. She wasn't really doing a whole bunch with Instagram. She wasn't really uh -huh. doing a whole bunch of social media. And so I gobbled up her book. I gobbled up articles. I just was like obsessed with her. And she has, really helped me recenter how I think of God, how I think of my person mm. as a black woman who is a woman of who considers herself a Christian and of Christian mm -hmm. faith. I feel she's given me permission to call out things that I've seen that have been wrong within my own yes. church even. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, the, the Madonna, her black Madonna series mm. um, has just been everything. Everything and then some. And I can't wait for the book. Yeah. It's Christmas. Oh, I love it. <laughs> today I was today I was going through, you know, my Instagram feed and the picture that she put up yeah. hit me first oh, before yeah. I read her words. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like my I just started leaking out my eyes. You know, yeah. I was weeping. And I'm like, what is this? What am I looking at? And then I yeah. read the words and I was like, this and again it's like that time when you know you have stepped into sacred space exactly. right yes yes you breathe absolutely. you cry you know yes. like you're moved yes. emotionally and spiritually and physically right. and I was just blown away I have yes. not read any of her books and she's kind of a new person to me it's called disunity in Christ and oh I've heard of it it's really cool. It's a bunch of social psychology studies um, mm -hmm. and experiments that they've done to show how much we really kind of gravitate towards division. And so oh. it's all about that. And it's just fascinating. Fascinating. Um, wow. I'm going to have to get that. Yeah. It's different than what she's writing now. I feel like mm -hmm. when she said that she had a hard, I think she had shared on Instagram that she'd She'd gone through this time where she was really just tired and her body was responding to that weariness. And then she went off on this, this pilgrimage in um, mm -hmm. France and kind of regained her strength. It was like she went and mm -hmm. got kryptonite and came back <laughs> with it and was like, That's okay, awesome. bam, bam. And so it will be different than what you're used to in her, in her post now, but it's evidence. And so I just loved that book and hearing her speak and talk about what it was to put that book together to show yeah. all the ways that we really try to divide ourselves. I wish you could see my place. I, we are, when people are just like, what do you spend your money on? It's books. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> 
where it goes, man. <laughs> so many books. Right. I'm looking at I'm like, oh, I love that. But I really do love, I do love immigrant stories. I, I just uh-huh. always have. Um, I love Southern stories and Southern writers. One of my favorite poets mm-hmm. is, is a writer named Lee Young Lee. He's the one that yeah. he had a memoir and I saw it on the remainder table for a buck and I was got it. Um, cause this okay. guy, he's won all these big awards. And yet at the end of the day, nobody wants to really read poetry, but his mm. book wasn't, po- this was his, his memoir is called The Wing, The Wings Sea, a remembrance, Lee Young Lee. And so he came over to America from China. His dad was a physician. But he was practicing Christianity. He got exiled to Indonesia. The, he was set, I think, to be to be executed, and the family escaped. And it's about him remembering being on a train in the city, in New York City, riding the trains through the night because they had no place to go. He and his family and learning the language and his parents never fully learning the language. And then his father becoming a Lutheran pastor in in Pennsylvania. Like it's just this Mm. astonishing story um, that when he speaks so much about God, but he speaks so Uh much about the God, the the God that he grew up with. It's just so beautiful. And Uh I think it's the immigrant story that probably happened for Joseph and Mary, for all I know, in the same one. Right. Um, so just, I love those stories. Those are just some of my favorites. I'm also reading right now a book called Heavy. Um, okay. I would have to look up his name, but I think it's Layman is his last name. L-A-Y-M-O-N. Okay. And this okay. is about a boy who's, I am not finished with it yet because it's so deep and so hard at times I have to just kind of put it down but yeah a boy who is heavy he's a he's an overweight boy African-American boy and he's talking about that experience being an overweight African-American boy in the south fatherless being raised by his mom who's in and out of his life and his grandmother who's constant in his life so like uh-huh. just and being poor you know so that's that's a story that I'm reading now and then there's there's you mentioned Ta-Nehisi Coates. I do. I did read his book and loved it. It's funny because I have been writing letters to my daughter for a long time. Like mm-hmm. I said, since she was very little. And when I found out about the, about his book, like when mm-hmm. it first came out, I remember going, he took my idea. <laughs> <laughs> Having the audacity. Like I didn't know who he was. I hadn't read the book yet. And I was just, all I was thinking was like, how did he get my idea? (laughs) Right. And then um, I finally read the book and I was just like, oh no, his idea is all his idea. (laughs) All his idea. And um, being very moved by it, but um, I'm more moved by, and I learn more from just perspectives that I I just would never have. I, I, Right. Tennessee's story is a very familiar story with me because of my my ex-husband and going to college with a lot of um, black men on a white campus and just yeah. having those stories. But I really love the stories that I just never knew, and especially old stories like I read "The Warmth of Other Suns" was a bit, another big story. Oh yeah, because it just my parents never. Here's a funny story about my family. My family 
very close, very open, but we just never had our racial history told to us. So mm-hmm. my sister, my oldest sister and I, I have four older siblings and a half brother who's younger than me, but my four older siblings um, are much older than me. My my oldest sibling is 10 years older and then it's nine years older, eight years older, and then six years older. Mm -hmm. Um, So my oldest sister is really into genealogy and she's been trying to find things about our family. And every now and again, she finds nuggets, but we only know two stories about my mom well, we know we know two stories about my mom that would, and these are just two, and we're like, there's got to be more. So one is that my mom was chosen to be, she, she took a test that all the kids were taking, I think, in her town. She grew up in Boomer, West Virginia, so uh-huh. in Crow, and, and she took a test, and she was really bright, and so she, they wanted her to be one of the first kids to bust into this white neighborhood to integrate the school. And my mom decided that's not for me, seeing how mm-hmm. how things were going down in the world and right. crossing lines and being found. That just wasn't what she wanted to do. So her solution was, I will get pregnant and then my boyfriend will have <sighs> to marry me and I'm not doing that. And I'm going to drop out of school and just be a mom. And that's exactly what my mother wow. did. That's exactly what wow. she did. so so but we don't know more to the story like there's so much that I question that I have a million questions now and we didn't learn that story I didn't learn that story she told me that story much later in her life and I was an adult when she finally told me about it she told me about it actually when she when I was visiting her in prison so there's a lot of wonder of if my mom had stayed crossed the picket line actually received this education she would have been able to have that bravery that courage the support mm-hmm. of the community I don't know that she would have would our lives be so different who would she have married she probably wouldn't have married my dad like there's just so many questions what if so there's that story wow very recently, while I was working on a proposal to my book, I mm-hmm. noticed, I was like, oh my gosh, the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated, my sister, my second oldest sister turned seven years old. It was on her birthday. So oh, wow. I text my sister. I'm like, do you remember your seventh birthday? It's the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Like, did you still have your birthday party? Like, did anyone talk about it? Do you remember that day? And she's just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, what are you saying? I'm like, Mm. the day Martin Luther King was shot, (laughs) right? Was your seventh birthday. Tell me about that. And she's like, I have no memory. Nothing was said. I don't remember anything different. I'm sure I had a party. We had a cake whatever, but I don't remember anything. And so then I asked my other sisters, do you remember anything? And they're like, no, no memory of it. No, no, nothing stands out. And I'm like, that's astonishing to me. (laughs) Like, How did my family just continue on with the day? And this was never like, and my sister didn't know until I told her that your birthday is the same date of the anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination. She didn't even know that. Uh-huh. So there's just there's just a lot of I love going and finding anyone who's still alive from that time and willing to tell their story. I want to hear it because my yes. parents or my grandparents were saying nothing. I also have people in my family who passed for white 
And so they were actually the first black people to work in certain companies. Wow. Companies didn't know they were black. So I'm just, Hmm. but no one talked about it. Like, it's like, that was a fact and we did not discuss it. I really think that my parents, parents, parents and us out of fear. It was a fearful Mm. parenting and it was fearful because they had seen, they knew what it was to be lynched. Basically, they knew what it was to be lynched. They knew what it was to speak up and then be assassinated. They knew what it was to be dragged into the woods and God knows what happened to the neighbor down the street or so-and-so's cousin or pastor so-and-so, right? So I think my parents, when putting us in an all-white community, I think they thought they were doing us a favor by downplaying Mm. our Blackness so that we would perform um, and identify with white culture and blend and, and be safe wow. that way. That's what I right. really think. There's um, Ruby Sells says. Yes, I was yeah. just going to bring her yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, she talked about it on, on being. She said, you know, yes. they just kind of got us ready and we and sent us out. Like they didn't, they didn't know how to prepare. We, we fought for this thing that we didn't know how to prepare our children for. Is in essence what she said. So our children were integrated, but we didn't know how to prepare them for it. And then Ruby Bridges talks about um, how she was so depressed through that whole ordeal of her being the only Black child in that school, and no one ever Mm -hmm. explained to her why this was or how this was happening. There was no, like, building up. Um, And I think that's what my parents did. I think they felt like if we are good people and we just pretend like nothing's happening, they Mm -hmm. have to accept us. Yeah. So this is the kind of stuff that my, I heard growing up. This Mm -hmm. This is what I heard about race. My mother was adamant about only a few things. It was how we presented to the outside world. (laughs) That was Mm -hmm. really it that we, like, I remember her being like, I don't want you out just walking down the street eating. Like, don't be down. Mm. Like, if, if our friends were out eating, having chips, walking down the street, my mother thought that was terribly country. Don't give them a mm. reason. What if, a, and she used to say, some white man will go down, could drive down our street at any minute and see you just out there eating like you're some sort of, and she would use derogatory words. And so mm. I knew that, okay, it's, I can't like just be out in public eating. For some reason, that's a no-no. My mother would make us eat watermelon in the backyard (laughs) because she didn't want, because God forbid that a white person drove down the street and saw us eating watermelon in our yard, minding our own business, because Mm -hmm. she just felt like, I don't want to give them any excuse to call us less than, was really her thing. And so we were always really well-dressed and we were always really proper in our in our manner with adults. I, I think my mom just wanted to make sure that we felt good enough. Although those material things were never going to make us feel good enough because you can be the best dressed kid as I was in school and the boy that you like call you the N-word. <laughs> you know? Mm. So it, it really right. wasn't a shield, but they thought that they were shielding us by providing what they saw I, I think that was just my my parents must be just thought, well, if if what they're saying is that we're animals and that we don't know how to keep a nice house, 
what I'm going to prove to them. Now I do know how to keep my house and that my children are just as clean as their children. And my kids have the same things that their kids have. And I think that's really like how my parents operated. And so we were always warned of where, what neighborhoods to go to, what neighborhoods not to go to, how to conduct ourselves, those sorts of things. But there was never more of a history. It wasn't like, don't go into that neighborhood by yourself because that neighborhood killed a little boy in 19 right. such and such and such. That wasn't mm-hmm. it. It was just don't go in that neighborhood because they don't like black people. Well, you know, as a kid, you you get enough of those neighborhoods. You start believing that the world is just a quilt of places that don't like black people and places that do. And that's just right. kind of how I grew up. So it sounds like you may be able to dig back into history a bit. How is that looking at this point with one of your, you said one of your sisters is a genealogist well, or a, a genealogy buff for genealogy buff. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I think, I think my history, a lot of our history, my family history is probably lost. Mm-hmm. Like there's just a lot okay. of people who have died and gone on. So there's stories we just right. know, but that yeah. doesn't mean that there's still a, there's still people out there who've written down their stories. And I think that I can adopt those stories in the sense that I, a lot of times when I'm reading, like I did for Black History Month, I did a lot of people that may not be as well known um, mm-hmm. that were still living. That was my thing. A lot of them, some, a couple had just died or, you know, recently right. died, but a lot of them were still living. And what I would do is think, okay, so at this time, when Diane Nash was organizing the lunch counters, my mom was having her third child. So that's like kind of of how I pieced together my history. I've kind of laid what I do know about my mom and what I do know about my grandparents beside what others were doing at the time. and it's helped. It's helped. It's helped tremendously for my own peace of mind to know that my mom lived this really li- real life during that time. Um, uh-huh. And she would have been reading about these things and hearing about these things on the news and on the radio. And she would have been talking about them with her friends. But I think you're right. I think a lot of that was she probably felt, yeah, but my children aren't in the South. So... I don't have to worry about this. Mm-hmm. We, we've migrated north and we have a house. We own a house and my husband has a pension. And, you know, what more do you want in life? Really? Mm-hmm. So, but it's been, that's been kind of how I pieced together my own history. And so we did find out a few things um, like that. My, my grandparents in West Virginia, my mother's parents, housed people in West Virginia. There were people who were coming and going and we found out that that was because they were boarding other coal miners who lived in the town. Wow. So there's there's a few little things that we've learned. And my my sister and I, I think we're the ones who are most interested in it. Um, but mm-hmm. we've, we've had so much tragedy in our family, I think, just in the present. So I think my sister mm-hmm. and I love to look to the past to kind of connect the dots of how did we end up here sort of a thing. Right. Um, like how does, how does that, I'm very interested in how 
what was the emotional toll of Jim Crow on the parents who raised Generation X and baby boomers? Like, how did that affect how they parented? How did that, how, how did depression come into it? Were they depressed? There's so much death that happened on the news during that time when all your heroes are killed and assassinated. Where do you turn for comfort? Like, I'm always saying to my husband, I don't know why Black people even have a faith because, um, right. When I look at the history, we have every reason not to believe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm so grateful that we do, because on the flip side of that, we have every reason to believe. Like, I can't believe we're still here, which is Mm. one of the things that I love about Austin Channing's name of her book, I'm Still Here. We're still here. It's really a remarkable. I don't even think people get the miracle of that. We really shouldn't. Right. We shouldn't be. yeah, and I I don't think people get the miracle of that. And and kind of what you're talking about, I'm sitting here wondering because I feel like I've been on this journey as well to try to understand my family's history and story. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved into our neighborhood that we've lived in for the last four years, I wanted to get to know my neighbors and their story. And that is when things started really like oh, lighting neat. up and connecting in my brain. For a white woman who grew up in predominantly white spaces, you know, I learned a little bit about the civil rights movement. I fancied myself an anti-racist, which I absolutely was not. <laughs> um, and, and you know, because I just thought, oh, well, let's everybody just be colorblind and move on. And, and then when yeah. I started to really do the work and started to live with people of color in a predominantly black neighborhood, mm-hmm. everything started to have a human face to it. So the segregation that we have lived in primarily was ripped open for me. And I realized, wait, we live segregated. It wasn't just me and it wasn't just my town and it wasn't just my neighborhood. It's the entire country. And because we've lived so segregated, I don't have any connection to this history. I don't have a human face to it. I don't have relationships with people. And now that has changed. And in this process of wondering about my own life and my own history and then this work, I feel like there's this awakening that's not just in me, but it seems like more and more people are starting to ask the question, why are we here? How did we get here? And as a path to change where we are. Do you feel that at all? Or am I just living in like this utopian Instagram bubble? No, I, you're not. You're not. I do feel that way. It's funny because um, one of the projects that my husband and I have been working on is we're working on a curriculum for parents to start teaching this history in their yes. own homes. Yes. But we start. But the one thing that we we realize is that the first thing that we have to get to is our humanity. Like we can't teach race without a, a fuller understanding of who we are as human beings. So yes, uh, I, I totally understand where you're coming from in that. And our children have to understand who they are as human beings because I think what we've done is we've allowed our kids to take for granted humanity. So mm. we don't teach our children. It's not something that we teach in school. And so, and we don't necessarily teach it in church. In church, I think churches spend a lot of time on salvation and mm-hmm. a less time on human living right here in the here and now. And so how do we teach our kids what it is to be a human having an experience with other humans. Like how how do we start there? Because 
if our kids can start to see, because if you, you can teach race, and I've seen it done, where people try to teach their mm-hmm. kids how to be racially aware. But if your child doesn't see the other person who is racially different as human, then it's lost on them. If they uh. are the center always, and they don't see other people as having a human experience. And part of that is just child development. There's certain things they're just not going to get right away. But there's ways, I believe, to teach that along the way so that not only are they learning, they don't hold race as something that's other, but something that we each have a part in. And I think that that's mm-hmm. part of the problem is that especially one of the things my daughter experienced was that so many of the kids, if they were talking about something racial in class, they all looked to her, like not for Mm -hmm. answers, but this is your story, not my story, as opposed to it's all of our story. No, no, no. We all have created this and we all play a part of it and we all bear responsibility to it. So because we all are walking around with an identity of race, but Mm -hmm. And we're all walking around with an identity of human. And so what makes the difference? We get this. It's so funny to me because we get this with dogs. um, (laughs) We do. We we totally understand this with dogs. Like we're like, all dogs are dogs, but this certain breed is this way and this certain breed is that way. And we don't colorblind with our, we don't breathe blind with our dog. We don't. And right. People will say, I'm a dog lover, and they will love all dogs, but I have a heart for these dogs. But it's so funny. We don't do that in our humanity. We don't say we're, I am a lover of humanity. And I just, but I just really love, you know, um, indigenous culture. I have an interest in it. I want to know more about it. I'm not trying to be indigenous, just like I'm not trying to be a St. Bernard, but I do have an interest (laughs) in it, right? But right. you don't hear that. I, I just hear people, it's an all or nothing. And it, it's like either we're all or we're nothing. Like either either I, mm. I or, or the mistake of I'm going to therefore become Black <laughs> in all that I do. And it's like, mm-hmm. you don't have to do that. You, you get to be who you are. Sarah Shin wrote a beautiful book about this called Beyond Colorblind. And it's done so well. And she actually has a video series, like you can learn the whole series. And she talks about how the first thing that most white people don't do, like you were saying that you did, they don't know their own story. They Mm. just don't know it because they don't feel that it's a value or that it is a racial story. Like they just don't. Mm -hmm. One of the first questions I ask when I have a black coffee, literally, which is when I sit down with someone who's white and we actually talk through race. My first question is, Tell me your racial history. Tell me what was said in, at home about race or what wasn't said at home about race. And I'm always surprised that a lot of um, the people I sit down with, that's not a question they've been asked or had to think about. So it, it puts them in a place of, oh, I, I do have a racial history. And my goodness, yeah. my racial history, if I don't get in touch with this racial history that I've been taught, then I'm doomed, basically. So it's helpful for them to like go, oh, I was basically not told anything about race because my parents were just like, we're not allowed to talk about it. 
So there's shame around it mm-hmm. for me. And it's a pretty healing thing to to be able to unburden yourself from shame. And I, Amen. I yeah. think just starting there, and it's, it's the thing that it's, I think it's, for me, it's the thing I'm most excited about. My husband is more excited because it's more graphic work that he gets to do. Um in a way that he, I'm excited. I am a mom who homeschools. Yeah. Well, we, we, we are releasing soon. We're not going to, we're, this yes. is how we're, but this is how we're releasing it. Uh, it goes okay. back to what I was saying that I really want a community more so that I want a book on the shelf more so than I want a platform. I want a community. And mm. so we're doing this with community. Um, okay. So we're going to do this with our people and we're hoping we'll get the support of our people so we're doing a patreon for it um so that Mm, everyone gets to partake in it um and we're not doing an outrageous patreon it's 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 like a dollar gets you in so Mm -hmm. um but just so people feel like they i work i work with um with my church i work at my church part-time and i work with a pastor who's a therapist for people who are in recovery. Um, Mm -hmm. And he says, one of the things he always says to me is that, you know, people have to have skin in the game. Um, People people don't change without having some skin in the game. And so that was the thing. I I want people to feel like they have ownership of this in some way. And so we're creating it. We hope to be well on our way this summer. Um, we hope to make okay. the announcement sooner than the summer, like within a few weeks. Um, okay. To announce how to be involved in it, but it's the name of it is Mockingbird because I love to kill a mockingbird, and um, mm-hmm. I just think it's it's an icon that people can relate race to, um, and it's it's basically a curriculum for every level so that. A, a homeschool parent can teach at every level, but it's really about how to live it more so than you sit down and you get these lessons. It's more like, this is how we're going to learn about inclusion. And there might be an exercise of inclusion for each level so that mm. kids learn how inclusion works and how systems are created and how and then they also there are times that we just talk about people in history but it's more it's more dealing with how do we live it as a family how do we how do we live it and talk about it in a very natural way as opposed to having to figure out some big lecture on it because my my daughter wouldn't sat for a lecture my daughter's the little girl that told me that she wasn't black she was brown (laughs) And I, yeah. she was like five years old. And I knew, wow, I have a lot of work to do. Because... Two, my son, one of my sons came on my initial podcast, right. which was dedicated to racism. And he's like, I want to come on and talk. But I'm like, all right. So tell me, eight-year-old, what do you know about this? And, you know, we were having a conversation. And it was really cool. But this has been a challenge of mine as a, as a mom who's homeschooling for right. a period of time. I don't know how long the season is. Mm-hmm. I thought I want to take history on. And so mm-hmm. I found this curriculum that was not colonized that, right. you know, we started in medieval history and, and it's just this across the board look at civilizations. Right. And so their introduction 
to, you know, the, the Middle East, to Africa, to right. Asia, right. to, I wept when I read the section on the Iroquois Confederacy, because I was right. raised by my father, who identified and had us identify as indigenous. Right. And that's for another podcast. That's another story. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I wept as I was reading because there was so much, oh, just dignity in the story of the Iroquois Confederacy, you know, and, and the indigenous roots and so amazing. And so I wanted my kids to encounter cultures that are rich in heritage, in, in just the dignity, so that when we get to that point in history where we deal with the early colonial days <laughs> in slavery, mm -hmm. that's not their First introduction to African Americans, right, right, and and that's kind right, of, that's kind of where we're starting from. It's very hard for kids to have the feeling of injustice if yes. they've not heard about humanity, like they just they have yes. not understood their place in, in humanity and others' place in humanity. So by the time that they get to the Middle Passage, uh -huh. that little kid saying, "Wait, wait, 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 wait." But those are human beings. Amen. How are they right? calling them oh. that? Right? Um, right. But a lot of kids, it's kind of sad. A lot of kids are just like, well, that's what happened, but we feel sorry about it and we're moving on. Like that because they haven't they they haven't learned that humanity piece. Mm -hmm. They've they've just existed. And I think it's kind of careless to just allow our children to exist without the humanity piece of it. Um it's Funny, I think just going biblically back biblically, when I think of um, how God created the world, if, if you're looking at Genesis, um, and then there's this moment where God's creating in his image, right? And uh -huh. we get so stuck on what that means for marriage. I, I, I'm just like, my goodness, not everyone in the gosh darn world is even going to get married. So, um, right. But what does that mean for just being human? And I think that he's saying a lot more about just being human, that I'm going to give dominion to this man and this woman who are like me, and they're going to then take care of all the other things that I've created that also bear my thumbprint. And I think that's so mm. important to to look at look at creation more as how are we caring for the things that we claim as Christians or as people of faith all look like God or speak the language of God in some way. And this is true for all the religions. All the religions believe this, and yet we don't teach it. We don't teach our kids to look at the world this way. And um, even humanists believe that there's a deeper connection between us and the world and everything else. And so yeah. I just think it's something that will be an easy way, because I think what parents think is that I have to teach my kids about this history, but it's so hard. And they start at the deep end. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You'll get right. <laughs> and it'll be super easy because your kid just right now, need, you need to just throw a ring over them, get in the pool, hold them up, let them kick their legs, you know, and feel the yeah. water around them before you mm. put them on a slide and have them just plunge deep um, without understanding. Because what happens is it becomes so uncomfortable. That even the kid in the class is like, I can't wait for this lesson to be over and I'm never gonna I'm never gonna look back at it. No. Yeah. You know? And then you have your handful of 
savants who are like, I'm going to go out and change the world and God bless (laughs) (laughs) We have those strange kids who are, you know, like perking up and asking all the questions. But I think for most of us, we learned it in that way. It was very uncomfortable. It doesn't need to be. And rather than wait for the schools to catch up, you can do the work at home so that when your kids are progressing, and I think that's another thing too, so many parents leave it to the schools. I'm like, you can continue to leave it to the schools, but if you continue to leave it to the schools, they don't have time to teach humanity. They're going to teach the facts and what happened in the dates. And you have mm-hmm. to just be a very blessed person to get be lucky enough to get a, a, a skilled teacher. My daughter right now has a teacher that's amazing. I'm, I want to go to her history class. <laughs> that's awesome because she comes home and that was the one thing when we left that when we left our small conservative christian school now we're at this big um texas public school that's extremely diverse and so she's learning this history right now not by herself but with people of color and a couple of white people in the class but mostly people of color and that makes all the difference in the world super not as awkward because every kid in that class has a moment, like when the, the Asian kids are in the class learning about the internment camps and there's Jewish kids in the uh-huh. class. And, and so all these kids have this culture that they're bringing to the class. And I can't think of anything more beautiful. We didn't set it up like that. That just landed on us. And wow. they're lucky enough to have a teacher who's gifted and passionate about it. But not every teacher is going to be gifted and passionate about it. And I think it's really a mistake to assume that our teachers are doing it well. And it's not, it's no shade on any teacher out there. It's just that we've burdened you with something that we're supposed to be doing. We've just burdened Mm -hmm. them with it. We've just said, okay, you teach our kids what it is to be a human being in this world and in this history. And it's, I think, frankly, just, um, um, just, unfair to the educational system to expect that of them. Well, and I love this because this is a theme that I touch on quite a bit in my conversations with people. And that is, you know, just what the educational system has been teaching and how most people who are going through, you know, the public school system, they're receiving a very similar education to what their great grandparents received. And there's, you know, we all lament that, you know, these things need to change. And here you are saying, well, here's something we're doing. We're putting together this curriculum. And guess what? You can do it in your home. I think for a lot of people, that is going to be incredibly, incredibly helpful because they don't have to wait for the school systems. And then hopefully over time, these people are influencing on a larger scale. Right. And our hope is to involve lots of different people. It's not just going to be me giving lessons or anything like that. It's, it's, everyone's story that I can possibly get that's relevant to the history, right? Um, And that's community. And that's what we really want to build. So so we're super excited about it. Like, yeah, I can't wait until the Patreon is up and ready. I'm going to be the first in line. (laughs) Yay! Yay! So yeah, it's a beautiful thing to be in this world and to be able to create these spaces is it's a beautiful thing. We yes. certainly could put it together, propose it, find someone to do the publishing, but we're like, it would be so much better if it if it's something that we built in community. It would just be mm. so much better. And um, because one of the questions that I get 
often is what can I do? Right. So here's something you can do. Perfect. All right. Marcy Walker from Black Coffee with White Friends. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we're really excited and we are here for what you guys are doing with this Patreon and Mockingbird. So tell us where we can look out for this. I will be announcing it on Instagram for sure. Awesome. Probably the best place. Okay. So then follow you on Instagram at Black Coffee with White Friends. Go to your blog at blackcoffeewithwhitefriends.com. And yeah, we will be looking forward to what you have for us. That is wonderful. It's going to be a good time. All right. Thank you. 